If you like this podcast and want more basketball podcast content, check out The Rock is Hot, a basketball-focused podcast by me and my co-host, Hush. Hello, and welcome to the Kia Koshman Basketball Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a guest, NBA Twitter's biggest Harden fan, Ash. What's up, man? Yo, what's up? What's good, y'all? Um, okay, let's get right into it. Two days ago, or no, not two days ago, yesterday, the second round ended with two game sevens. There were both blowouts. One was a lot worse than the other. So I guess we should kind of just recap the second. We can go through all four second round series, touch them up, touch on them a little briefly. And we'll start with Philly versus um, Miami, because I know you have a lot of thoughts on Harden. So let's just start right there. What are the key points to, to hit on with this series to you? Um, I feel like this series, well, one, a big factor was obviously Joel Embiid missing the first two games. Um, but I think the biggest thing for them um was they really did not have many NBA like NBA playoff players to play in this series. Mm-hmm. With the complete disappearance of George Niang, um Matisse Thibel just being a complete non-factor when he's not locking his man down. Um, and a bunch of unready uh, prospects like Paul Reed, uh, DeAndre Jordan, just not being a basketball player, Paul Millsap. You were looking at a team that was basically playing with like four guys um, in Miami the first two games and about five uh, for the rest of the series. So I think the biggest keys for the Sixers are probably to get a lot more depth, like a lot more depth, especially with Danny Green not going to be there anymore. They, they need to find a way to get depth. I don't really know how that's going to be possible you know, with Tobias Harris's contract um, and whatever happens with Harden's contract, if he stays or leaves, which I think he's going to stay. Uh, they got to find a way to add some more pieces. Yeah, and something I just thought about that I didn't really realize all season is they drafted Jaden Springer, who – even though he was really young coming into the league, was expected to be one of the more NBA-ready guards. A lot of people thought he would be kind of like their maxi this year. A lot of draft Twitter had him going a lot higher than they drafted him, him at, which I think was 27, but I'm not sure. Yeah. And I that's it's kind of random, but I just realized they didn't play him at all. Maybe he could be a death piece for them next year. But, yeah, other than that, the roster is – not very fleshed out. I think Thibel specifically is interesting because he was like this young cornerstone. They didn't want to trade him. And he just, he looked terrible. Like it was four on five on offense when he was in the game. And I think like a problem with guys like him are, you know, not not just on Thibel, but a lot of guys, you know, when you're mm-hmm. a non-offensive threat, like defensively, you have to be matching value. Like you have to just be taking players out of games in order to like even warrant you playing as many minutes as Thibel was and be and because the Sixers really like especially in that game six when Danny Green like had the torn ACL and MCL and all that stuff uh hope he's doing good they Matisse Thibel was their only playable wing who could like place and like an, an ounce of defense you know um mm-hmm. and when he was out there playing extended minutes the Sixers were legitimately out there playing four on five on offense and Thibel he wasn't doing enough on defense for you to warn him playing anything more than like 10 minutes a game. Yeah. Uh, I've seen people say that, like uh, I've seen some nuggets, Twitter try to say that he'd be really good with Jokic. I mean, good luck. Good luck with that. So, I mean, I do think he would fit better in Denver, but a lot of the same issues will still be there quickly. I want to shout out Tobias Harris because I really like what he did in these playoffs. His defense looked really good. I'm just a big Tobias Harris fan. I hate all the hate he gets. Oh, but, uh, you know, trust me. I'm a Tobias guy, bro. I mean, I think he's definitely overpaid still, and it kind of yeah. hurts your your team-building flexibility. But just as a player, like, that shouldn't take away from who he is as a player. When he's in the right role, he's a very good player. Exactly. Yeah, and I think he fits offensively very well and defensively. He was, like, one of their best. Honestly, he was, like, after Thibault, arguably, to me, their best defensive player in these playoffs with Embiid being injured, so he's not giving his full impact on that end. But, yeah, yeah I feel like he fits really well next to the other three main players with Harden, Embiid, and Maxi. 
speaking of, I know you wanted to come on here to talk about Harden, so I'm going to clear out the floor and let you cook on this one. Um, I mean, I have a lot to say. I've had a lot to say. But, I mean, I think the key points here are, like, one, that entire – this entire season for him has been kind of up and down. I mean, it was, to me, it was very obvious from the jump, right, that, like, he just wasn't the same basketball player, right? Coming off a hamstring, a grade two, which he he had two grade twos in the span of two months, re-injured it badly, played three straight games of 40 minutes on it. He definitely permanently damaged it in some way, if not got it to a grade three. Um, had a shortened off season, came back, said he didn't play basketball and was recovering all off season. Um, came into basketball, immediately started leading the league in minutes, was like up there, I think it was like top three something like that throughout the first two and a half months of the season. Um, he never, I, I just don't think he ever, his body was ever given the chance to recover fully. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. I've done thanks to like a lot of guys like Jackson Lloyd, who I think you've had on the pod before. Yeah. Multiple um, times. Yeah. And, and NMZ, another, another really good basketball head. Like also those are pod multiple times. Yep. Too. Yep. Two great, two great guys, you know, um, they they've helped inform me on like a lot of things with the hamstring and like how a hamstring can be affected. Um, and I say all that to say that like Harden's biggest issues this year were his lift, um, his hip mobility, like his ability to like change directions, you know, dynamically um, yeah. his entire lower body strength. Like he wasn't really able to plant down and either jump or like explode somewhere. Like that was really killing him this year. And the problem with that is a lot of really his entire game is predicated on being able to do that. Like not just the blow by, but being able to have change of direction, change of speed, your lift, your ability to plant. Exactly. Plant your foot down. Like the step back is about planting your foot down and changing your direction. And he wasn't able to do that. Like anywhere near the level that he was forget Houston just last season. Right. Yeah. Like he wasn't do that. He wasn't able to do that. You know? Um, so I definitely think with like an off season, like to fully get his body back. He has five months, right? Like five months to get all the rest, to get all the the um the exercise, the 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 everything he needs to do in order to get his body right. I do definitely think that you'll see a significantly better Harden. I don't know if you're gonna get Houston Harden, even if he was at his peak. I don't think you'd just see that production next to Embiid and and all the other pieces on this team. But I definitely think you're gonna see something a lot closer to what he was last year. A very high impact player who's getting like 25, 10, and whatever, you know like a fringe MVP. Well, I think he honestly peaked last year, but you know what I'm trying to say. He's going to be somewhere around there in terms of production. Yeah, I talked about this with uh with my co-host Hush on my other podcast, The Rock is Hot. Make sure to check that one out, guys. But I talked about this. I think it's very clear that he was injured. And it's interesting because Harden for his whole career, I think, has been like low-key the most durable like the iron man of the nba i think he played over 82 games a season because he was making deep playoff runs he clearly not clearly but like he led the league in minutes multiple times i think or if not was always he was always there. he was always like top three top five in minutes per yeah. game in like 90 game runs every single season exactly never had a bad injury and he had the biggest load of anyone year after year with the ball always in his hands, always having to create everything. It's really incredible. And so now it all kind of caught up to him with his hamstring. Again, he didn't have an offseason to condition to actually play basketball. He was just rehabbing the hamstring. And then, like you said, he came into this season and they were having him lead the lead in minutes again, or lead the league in minutes again, mm -hmm. which he just could not do with that hamstring. So, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I expect with a real off season and the hamstring not as bad as it was at the end of last season, I expect that he will be able to come back next year by at least halfway through the season looking more like James Harden. I don't think prime James Harden is done. Maybe peak James Harden is done. But I think we still have like a clear all-star borderline mvp like you said i think that'll be coming back and one last thing i think it's funny 
people are acting like this is just who he was. Like you said, he arguably peaked last year. Like, it's not like he got worse when he left Houston. He was in best player in the world conversations in Brooklyn last season before he got hurt. So, to me, it really is all about the injury. Oh, and, and finally, just a, another final point about the Sixers real quick. Um, the, Like, I don't – a championship team isn't being built in 20, 20 games of a core being together, especially when the core is deeply flawed. Um, people claiming that the process is over um, after really just a very interesting final 20 games, right, that would have you believe that when the Sixers started together, the Sixers had the best starting five in the playoffs and after the Harden trade, like from that regular season to the playoffs, they had the best starting five in the line in the league, like by far, it was just a matter of, they didn't have anybody else to help them. That was with a reduced Harden with a 21 year old Tyrese Maxey with a, a lingering Joel Embiid in the playoffs. That was with a Tobias Harris getting used to his role. Like they, they definitely have a lot of room to grow, but let's not act as if like they just, they have nowhere to go next year and they're going to be stuck in mediocrity. Yeah, I think even if just like James Harden gets back to form, automatically they're like true contenders. And then you add in, they can maybe fix the depth a little bit. Tyrese Maxey's going to get one year better. This is definitely a team that should be contending, like tier one contenders, unless something very bad happens. So, yeah. And then on the other side, we didn't even talk about Miami. They look great. They're... My pick right now to win the championship, I've been saying the whole time, every team in the playoffs has looked really bad at some point and shown really bad side signs, except Miami to me. Uh, even though they've had injuries, Kyle Lowry, you know, but they, they just kind of pushed through. I think Miami's amazing. We can just talk about them for like a minute. What do you think? Uh, Miami shooting is bound to progress back to the mean. Uh, I know people like to say regression, but I like to say they're going to progress back to the mean, you know? Um, and what I mean by that is um, on open shots and wide open shots, they were actually pretty pedestrian um, through in the Sixers series specifically, right? So their right. offense looked a little a little underwhelming. But I think Jimmy Butler is going to continue to just go on the tear. He, he is maybe slow down a little bit because it's a better defensive team, right? But he's been amazing. Um, He's been the second best player to me in these playoffs. Oh yeah, for sure. If not, if not the best, but I think Luca is probably just the best player remaining. Um, oh yeah, remaining. I think Luca is the best, but I meant like yeah. the run they've had. I think Luca, Giannis, Jimmy are in their own tier, kind of. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. And if Jokic had some more time, he'd be up there as yeah. well. Um, but it is it like he's just been on a, an insane tear. The Heat are just a really well built team on both ends. I mean. They're 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 going to be very scary. They're my pick to come out the East. I don't think they're my pick to come out the finals just yet. I do want to see how the Warriors and Mavericks look, specifically the Warriors. But um, I the Heat are my pick to come out the East. Okay, so now onto the other side of the East second round. Milwaukee Boston came to an end yesterday. Um, I mean I don't. Boston won, yeah, but it's a little disappointing to see how hard that was for them without Chris Middleton available for the Bucks. I feel like it was their offense at times looked really stagnant and it was very hard for them to get things going. And I could see that being a big issue against the Heat, who I think are an even better defense than the Bucks were. Um I basically agree with everything you're saying. I think more than just that, um, I still think they very clearly, like even the Marcus Smart and Tatum, they've made and Horford, they've definitely helped this out. But their their lack of initiation and a and a and a guy who's really just going to dissect the defense and consistently make plays for others, like it feels as if they're still lacking that in the half court at times, and it's really held back their offense to me, like from being like significantly better. You know, yeah. um, and I think that's going to come and hurt them in this heat series. Like when the heat throw zones and and Tatum and Jalen Brown won't just have mismatches to pick on, you know, like they had in the Nets and mm-hmm. um, the not. Yeah, the wow. Nets and um, Buck series where they were isoing and bullying a bunch of small guards and bad defensive wings. You know, like I don't think that's going to be here anymore. Yeah, I agree completely. The the heat can switch one through five through anything. 
unless the only guys on the floor they have that you can ever attack are Tyler Hero, and they do a good job of hiding him, and Duncan Robinson, who didn't even play last series. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, they're not going to have those mismatches to attack, and I feel like their offense, that fluidity, could be helped out a lot if they utilize the playmaking ability of Al Horford more, and I actually think not having Robert Williams really helped them on or hurt them on offense more than did on defense in that Buck series because so much of their of what they do is predicated on when Tatum gets in the lane, when Brown gets in the lane, Time Lord is right there in the dunker spot. So like the big man kind of has to pick his poison. Is he gonna guard the guy that's driving with the ball or is he gonna stay back on Robert Williams? And so hopefully he's healthy so they can have that effect against the Heat. But, yeah, I guess previewing the series a little bit, I do have the Heat taking it in seven, like I said before. I think the Heat, um, their, their shooting is going to be a big factor in this. Like you said, they were shooting poorly versus the Sixers, but a lot of what they do on offense is really built around that shooting. And I think guys like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry, if he's healthy, I don't know what the actual status on him is. Guys like those. He's out for game one. I know that. But they, they said he's like, like, they're ba- like, he's basically good to go in a playoff game, but it's kind of like with Harden, like he's going to be on one leg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they're playing it safe, which they got away with because like Max Drews, Victor Oladipo. All these guys just fill in. So, we haven't even talked about Oladipo, like what he's done for this team since he got in um, inserted into the playoff lineup. Yeah, I said coming into the playoff, or even like a little bit before that, if Oladipo is like 70 to 80% of what he was at his peak, then this team becomes arguably the favorites to me. And he has looked that good, and they're my favorites now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he's been good. Um, but defensively, especially like what he did, what he was doing uh, to Trey Young, to Maxi, to Harden, to Embiid on possessions, uh, a very versatile defender who can who's switchable, uh, uses his hands very well. He's fast and athletic. You know, he still has like some burst issues, like on offense. You know, and his shooting mm-hmm. comes kind of comes and goes, but he's still a very productive player for them. And him, Max Strus, Gabe Vincent, Tyler here, they've done a very good job of basically emulating Kyle Lowry's value uh, to the Miami Heat. So, Yeah, and Oladipo, like you said, on defense, fantastic, fits perfectly. He can switch. He can be like a point-of-attack guy that guards their primary ball handler always. And on offense, yeah, the shot comes and goes, but his ability to just like get to the rim and it looks like he's more willing as – he was always a great playmaker, but – it looks like now that he knows his scoring isn't, at least at this stage, what it was back in like Indiana, he's really doing the small things. He's looking to be much more of a playmaker. He's going for every board. And I think that really helps Miami a lot and gives them a new layer to their offense. Uh, yeah, but I totally agree. I mean, I have the Heat um, winning this series in six or seven. I think you're going to see a very similar series to the 2020 series in the bubble where not 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 to the same extent of course but i think a lot of the celtics issues in the half court will you know it will come back to bite them like it did in that series when the heat throw out zone and switch everything and blow up every action and dare these guys to basically just beat elite defenders off the dribble um and then load up on them as per usual is what the heat do um but now i think the heat are also better equipped to have a better offensive series than they did last time and last time they had an insane series offensively so i think they're primed to have just as good, if not an even better one, given the way Jimmy Butler has been playing and and the replacements they have for guys like Goran Dragic um, and Duncan Robinson with the way they were playing in the bubble. So, Yeah, I think Miami's the best team in the league at showing help and then recovering back to the shooter. And I think that'll really, really hurt what Boston likes to do. And I think the one... A negative they have right now compared to the 2020 series they had was back then the Celtics didn't really have competent bigs like that. 
So Bam Adebayo had a monster series. I don't really see that happening this time, but I still do think they kind of, again, with how Jimmy's playing, looking like he can take anyone one-on-one, I and then the fact that Boston doesn't really have any mismatches to exploit, yeah, I have them taking this one. And so looking, well, do you have any last thoughts on that first? I should oh, no, I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So looking to the other conference, Memphis versus Golden State ended in six. And while Golden State did make it to the conference finals, has won both series in six games, I don't really like what I'm seeing from them at all. But I want to hear what you think first. Um, I would agree. I don't think the big man thing is hurting them as much as I anticipated just because of Draymond's like up to defensive motor. But I still think like they're still susceptible there. Um, their defense in general, mostly on the point of attack. I mean, Steph, Clay, and Poole specifically, like they Clay's eh, Steph is like eh, good and then bad. You know, it's like it's just very inconsistent with him. And Poole's mm-hmm. just flat out been a liability. Um, he he's getting attacked by anyone who can put the ball on the on the floor and like hit a step back or something. It's or, or just hit him with a hezzy. Like it's it's been really bad, you know. Um, and it's why you don't see the the their small ball lineup that everybody was raving about when Clay and Draymond and Steph all of them returned. It's it's the main reason why that lineup hasn't been as effective. They can't play D. They can't guard anybody. They yeah. cannot guard anybody. Um, it, it's looking a little rough. Um, that Grizzly series. Um, it was a lot closer than people anticipated. Um, I don't want to say that the Grizzlies were better without Jaw or anything, but um, they definitely looked better without Jaw in those final three games, um, especially on defense. Um, had the had the Grizzlies had like some sort of a competent half court creator, we could be talking about the Grizzlies winning this series, and and like they they were right there in game one. Um, game three was a massive blowout, but game four, they were right there as well. Game five, they just waxed the Warriors, one of the most embarrassing playoff losses in in modern day history. Um, and game six, they were right there until they just ran out of gas and the Warriors just out talented them. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think you saying one of the most embarrassing playoff losses is a good segue to the next series. And then we'll get back to the Warriors when we talk about the conference finals preview. So Speaking of one of the most embarrassing playoff losses ever, yesterday the Suns were down 46, I think. Yeah, 46 46 points to the Mavs in Game 7 after a 64-win season where they were playing injured. Wow. I mean, I don't even even know where to start. I I mean, it was embarrassing. That's where I can start. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was, I think, given the situation, the worst loss ever. For sure. I don't think there's anything close. Not not game, not from a game perspective. No, I don't think there's a worse loss yeah. you'll ever see. Yeah, I mean, man. I mean, we could do a whole podcast about how the Suns fell apart. But let's just talk about it briefly and then more so talk about the Mavs. The Suns, Chris Paul was injured, yeah, but nah. I don't want to hear that. Not I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear the Chris Paul injury. Like I, I don't want to hear that. I've been agreeing with you, but I don't want to hear that Chris Paul thing simply because he was playing in the fourth quarter when his team was down forty plus points. If he's really as injured as y'all were saying, like, I, I if he's injured, cool. But why is he then in the game in the fourth quarter when it's been it's been over? It's been over for about an hour of real time. Why is he in the game? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. I don't want to buy that injury thing when he's playing in a one of the worst blowouts in NBA history to pad his stats because he had one point going into the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. I'm just going off what the reporters said. I mean, he did look a little hampered, but that is a good point. I don't know why he would be in the game. Point is, it was just an abomination. Everything fell apart. Not just his last game, even the game before. Uh, Booker looked terrible. Mikal Bridges looked terrible. DeAndre Aiden, who we'll get to later, looked terrible. Everyone looked terrible. Everyone, really nobody no had positive. a good game. Everyone had a bad game. 
yeah, there are really no positives. And one thing, though, I think we can take away from this is the Suns are really reliant on everything running through Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And if both of those two are having a bad game, you, it's very hard for anyone else on the Suns to have a good game just because their whole offense kind of runs through those two guys and everyone plays off them. So that's one thing they can look to changing in the offseason, making adjustments. They should still be a contender unless Chris Paul has a massive drop-off. But Or some, or something happens with the guy we're about to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, do you want to get into the DeAndre Ayton stuff right now or after we finish with the playoff preview? Real quick, real quick, just to talk about the Suns and then we can talk about Aiden because I think that would be a good segue. Um, yeah. I think them trading for Eric Gordon – or not trading – I should say not trading for Eric Gordon was a, I think a very big reason as to why they lost. Um, the Suns were a very bad team at getting to the rim and applying rim pressure to create easy shots. The Mavericks took advantage of that in the way they guarded basically everybody, but specifically Chris Paul and D book. And because everything going through them, no one's really getting to the rim like that. Like their best guy to attack and close is like Mikhail Bridges, but he's not some like, super dynamic finisher that's drawing attention right so when you yeah. don't really and, and Devin Booker of course but he's not a guy who's consistently going to the rim like that either so when you don't have that and you're just relying on you're bailing a team out like Dallas who for the most part has about a bunch of like average to above average perimeter defenders but not really much rim protection you're bailing them out and letting them play um an over helping coverage simply because they know you're not going to try and attack the rim yeah Dallas does not have great defensive personnel, but what they have is big bodies and a great scheme. And, I mean, they really just exploited the Suns on that end, like you said. And I really agree. I think if they traded for Eric Gordon, they we'd be looking at them saying they're about to win the championship. He, he would really just make the game a lot easier, which I think is what it comes down to with this team. Chris Paul at this age, cannot make the game easy like he doesn't have the athletic ability he can still dominate which he did literally in the first two games of this series or one of the first two games i think really just the first eight games of this playoffs he was just really dominant yeah exactly like he still has that but that doesn't mean he's making it easier for him and the team you know and devin booker his great skill is is playing well when he has to like take hard thoughts, you know, when it's not easy. But again, yeah. sometimes you need someone to just make the game easier. Like you said, get to the rim. They don't have that right now. Eric Gordon could have really helped with that. And having a great big man also can help with that, which it felt like they did have for the first half of these playoffs. And then DeAndre Aiden was a no-show after that. So I guess it's time to talk about him. There are a lot of rumors that he's played his last game as a Phoenix Sun. Sign and trade coming. They don't want to offer him a max, but other teams will offer him a max. What are your thoughts on this situation with DeAndre Aiden? It's kind of iffy. Um, as a whole, I think Phoenix's title window is kind of closed. I want to say given like what's surrounding them and their personnel, but... I don't think you should actively try to get rid of Aiden and just be like, no, we don't want to negotiate giving you the max because at the end of the day, Aiden's still a cornerstone. He's still a very positive player. Um, you shouldn't really, really be giving up on a player of his caliber just because of a bad series. However, at the same time, I don't – me, just me as a person, I don't feel comfortable committing max money to him, understanding the makeup of this team, right, and his – blatantly like no disrespect but just blatant like softness you know like he he doesn't dominate the way that you expect for him to do you know especially with like an aging chris paul um mm -hmm. you you need him to like you needed him to show like the the improved developments and aggression and, and with his scoring and he just he wasn't doing that this year i mean a seven foot seven footer averaging two free throw attempts uh, per game is just unacceptable especially with the amount of touches he gets, right? It's it's really just unacceptable. Um, I think he took like one shot in the first half or something. I um, mean, he was getting the ball quite a lot. I mean, he has a lot of flaws in his game, of course, offensively and defensively. I don't think he's as good as advertised, though still being a very good defender. 
Um, I don't feel comfortable giving him a max for this certain team. However, if I'm Phoenix, I definitely have to, um, unless I'm getting some massive haul from him, which I don't think is going to be out there. Yeah, I feel pretty similar to you. I was saying I think Aiden's an elite playoff big. I still want to stand by that, but I think the issues he has are, like you said, very mental-based, like the aggression isn't there. But I still think he's one of the most well-rounded bigs on both ends. Like, I feel like he can just give you a lot, like skill-wise, doesn't really have many weaknesses. Um, It seemed like the whole time he's been in Phoenix, I feel like there have been rumors that they were skeptical of paying him. Like, they didn't sign the rookie extension in the first place. It sounded like they weren't completely on board with giving him a max. So for that reason, to me, it does seem like a sign and trade is possible. Are there any specific teams or like scenarios you could see happening with that? Chicago! Need my boy in Chicago. Need him with my Chicago Bulls. We need a real defensive big, but I don't I don't I don't I don't, I don't think the Suns would accept a, a Vooch deal. Um there was another team that I was hearing like somewhat rumors of. I heard like the Mavericks, like they could low-key swing at him, which I honestly think it is somewhat realistic. Um, given what the Suns would want, I guess. Um, and I think that'd be very good for the Mavericks too, because he just they just need some sort of a rim protector and they're good to go. All right. Yeah, he, I he think doesn't need to do anything on offense. Yeah, I think I didn't hear that before right now, but I think DeAndre Aiden in Dallas would be incredible. I think that's like a perennial contender. I think they're already a perennial contender just with Luca. Like he's that good. Adding a guy like Aiden to that keeps that going. What would they give up though? Because I don't know what Phoenix would really be happy about getting from Dallas for a guy like Aiden's caliber. Um, I think you can get some solid role players. I think you can get a pick. I don't think you're getting another cornerstone. I definitely don't think that, which is why I'm opposed to trading trading him. I still think you need a guy like him. He's still very good, but I just I just don't think you're getting a lot. You're not getting some massive haul. Um I, I I'm just I'm just not really sure. Um, but I mean, hey, well, well, we have to wait and see. I definitely think if I was a betting man, though, I think he has played his last game at Phoenix. Like the contract extension just never happening. The Monty Williams just internally just not playing him. Um, Mikael Bridges like saying very skeptical things like "We love you" and yada yada yada. Just things that sound as if some guy is just he knows he's played his last game here, type shit. You know, like I think I think that's something um, very something that we need to key in on the the way everybody was reacting in that post game. I think he's definitely out of here. I, I don't really see him coming back. Um, because the team won't want him back. But yeah, we'll have to wait yeah. and see. I definitely see that. I think I feel like his market would have to be like really big. If if teams are willing to pay him a max, I think that would mean they're willing to give up a lot for him. But there haven't really been any reports on on what any trade would look like. So anything is kind of speculation, but assuming teams would be able to would be willing to give a lot for him. To me, a trade partner that really stands out is Charlotte. I I don't know if this works cap-wise. I don't really know anything about the salary cap. So if it doesn't, then ignore everything I'm about to say. But I think a signing trade involving Gordon Hayward, like maybe some picks, PJ Washington, and maybe like one of Charlotte's other young guys or something, like Jalen McDaniels or maybe someone of a higher caliber like JT Thor or Kai Jones or Book Knight, something like that I think could be really good for Phoenix with Gordon Hayward um, kind of being that next guy to really boost the offense when they're going through tough stretches. And then with the other assets, maybe they could cash in for another big, like, I don't know, Miles Turner or someone like Jonas Valanciunas is like, shopped around something like that just someone to like kind of fill in that spot i don't know how realistic that is again i don't know if charlotte would want to give up that much i don't know if it works cap wise but i feel like if they're trading deandre aiden that would have to be their avenue like one good like one really good player not like a star because i don't think they're going to get that but like a really good player 
some assets and then try to fill in the depth with that because I don't know what else they would do. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of questions looming for this team, but I mean, they're, they're not the team that advanced, uh, a very big disappointment. Now we get to talk about Luca, the Don. Yep. Yeah. So I think Luka now we can it. talk about Dallas versus golden state conference finals. Go ahead. Take it away. Um, first off, uh, we didn't talk about him, but Luca, man, Luca is something special. Um, in my lifetime, I haven't seen three better offensive players. Um, just just from like just from a, a skill a skill set standpoint, like what he's done as a basketball player. Three actually might be pushing it, but he's up there for sure, right? Um, he's so amazing. His 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 post game, um, his footwork, the way he's able to get to the rim and just really abuse anybody who just like isn't tall, fast, and athletic, right? which is really the only build that's out there to guard Luka, like Aya Ben Simmons, right? Um, he, he His step back, when his shot is going, right? When his shot isn't going, it, get, it gets really ugly. But, like, when his step back is really going and it's, like, a big part of his game, like, it, it really, like, he legitimately becomes unguardable because there's just nothing you can do at that point. His ability to get to the free throw line and and his the way he bends his scoring with his passing it's it's pretty insane. Like I, I like I don't know if I'm just gassing it, but I truly don't think I've seen a guy who blends his passing so well with his scoring since like I guess Harden, right? I think that I think that's probably like one of those guys where like their scoring and passing are just so similar and intertwined with one another that they just make you guess every single time they have the ball. Um, yeah. It's ridiculous. Um, Brunson was really good too, and Dinwiddie was very great in that closeout game. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying about Luca. I agree, easily one of the best off, maybe the best offensive player I've ever seen, like in like live time. Could be pushing it, but I don't know, man. He's already generation. He's already an all time great. Like he was like an MVP caliber player in his second season. Um, and I know what you're saying about making it ambiguous as to whether he's shooting or passing. Like one thing he does, which I feel like I've never seen anyone else do is he likes to go up for a jumper, but then like in the shooting form, he passes it backwards to the guy behind him. And I've never oh, seen yeah. anyone he does else all do the time. And it's like, it's a routine thing. Like it's not a bailout. It's yeah. not like, oh, oh, shit, let me just throw this. I didn't have a good shot. Like, he's legit. Like, that's a pass. Like, that's his actual pass. Exactly. Yeah, I saw it, like, the first time I was like, wow, that was amazing. But that was a fluke. A couple more times it was like, huh. And then, like, the more I watched him, I realized. And I feel like I mainly started seeing that this season. This is just a thing he does. Like, it's not, like you said, it's not a bailout. It's not a fluke. That's just a move he has. And the awareness of the court to be able to pull something off like that consistently and the, like, actual execution skills, it's, I mean, it's out of this world. He's, if you told me that you think he's the best player in the world, I would not argue with you at all. Like, I'm pretty close to saying that myself. Like, I could definitely see it right now. So, yeah, he's definitely up there, right? Like, uh, there's just a lot of players up there right now. Um, yeah, Luke is definitely one of them. Yeah, he's in my tier one, no doubt. Of, of like any of these guys can be the best player in the world. I think what you said about, you know, like unless you have the right guy to guard him, a long athletic wing forward type guy, even those guys can't really guard him. Like, it's the best you're gonna get, but Kawhi. Kawhi was the best defense we've seen for, on him in a series. And, yeah, it's not peak Kawhi, but I feel like Kawhi the past few years is still pretty damn good on defense, and he could barely slow down Luka. Like, the only thing he could really do was just wear him out the whole game, and then Luka kind of got super gassed in the fourth quarters of uh, last year's first-round series versus the Clippers. But, like, for the first three quarters of those games, do whatever you want. You're not stopping Luca. Either he's getting a good shot, or he's making a a hard shot, or he's getting his teammates a good shot. And 
yeah, there's it's inevitable. You can't do anything to stop it, really. Yep. But to go on to the Warriors matchup, um, just to go in a little bit, I mean, something I've really looked at like these last couple of days is I really watched how the old Warriors used to guard 18 and 19 Harden, right? Like the last two times they played them, right? Because mm-hmm. I think that's like the closest player to Luka in terms of yeah. skill set and play style, right? And just a actual ability as a basketball player. Yeah, and there's like, definitely small differences in like how they do it. Like Luka likes to slow, well, not slow it down more, but like get to the post, do like, you know, size up his man more than Harden, I think, where Harden likes to have his face towards the basket more. But mm-hmm. play style wise, I think that's the closest you're going to get to Luka. And so I'm looking at it, right? And I'm just seeing, I mean, Harden was basically killing him, right? Harden was really killing them. And I think the trouble for this Warriors team, as we said earlier, just have been a very underwhelming defensive team, especially on the perimeter, is like you're going to you're going up against a guy who's better than that guy who was killing a significantly better defensive team, right? With let's just keep it above with the with the way the Mavericks have been playing. This this playoffs like they've been the best shooting team in the league, right? So it's not as if Luca isn't going to be passing to guys like hopefully they they do get a little streaky. Uh, they get up they get very streaky actually, right? But hopefully he's not passing the guys right who just are going to be missing. He's passing the guys who are going to be executing off those open threes he's creating, right? So yeah, I wonder what they're going to do. They did a lot of hedge, a lot of soft hedging in Harden and Curry and Harden and Curry screens where Curry would just uh, – he would go and recover immediately to make sure that Harden wasn't getting his chances to ISO. I wonder if they're going to do that with Luka again. Um, they have a lot of smaller and skinnier bodies than they did back then, and Luka's significantly more willing to just actually just go to the post and and bully them, right, like uh, unlike Harden. So he's – you could argue that he's just a bigger threat as a score than what Harden was at that time. So I'm I have a lot of questions defensively and how they're going to match up with the Mavericks. Yeah. The one thing I will say is I feel like Andrew Wiggins is about as good as a one-on-one matchup as you're going to get. I think he kind of fits that mold of a bigger athletic. He's really been high motor on defense too, like forward wing size guy to put on him. And actually Wiggins has been kind of the bright spot for me for this Warriors playoff run so far. Like, He's just giving consistent effort always. Like, he's going for boards. He's able to, like, make a play when defenses focus too much on the other guys, etc. I feel like, you know, that's as far as guarding Luka goes, Wiggins is pretty solid. But again, it's it, does, it almost doesn't matter. Luka's still going to get his, I think. And he's going to be able to hunt those other guys, Jordan Poole, Curry, even Clay at this stage. And and then even the bigs, like Kevon Looney, who's a great defender, but he can't stay on Luka. So I think Luka's going to do a great job hunting those guys. And it comes down for me to how well are the Warriors going to play offense because they've looked really sloppy these playoffs. Like, they're not taking care of the ball they don't look as comfortable in their actions as they did before, maybe because there's like new players, there were injuries this season, they didn't have that much time for everything to kind of mesh. But if, I mean, at any point, they can flip the switch and they're the best offense we've ever seen, you know? Mm-hmm. But to me, it's about how consistent is that going to be because the Mavericks do have smart defenders and long defenders, which I think historically is what you need against the Warriors offense. Yep. You hit it home. Um, I think the Mavericks defensively is also a- another interesting thing. I mean, the Warriors also, I think, have the ability to abuse these slow, these slower-footed um, big wings that the Mavericks have, right, like with cuts and just mm-hmm. actual spamming of motions and flares and pin-downs. Um uh, the, this is a pretty solid – I think it's going to be Draymond's best series of the playoffs because he's not going up against a team that just has some overwhelming big. And he does have a lot – like he's most – I don't know who he's going to be guarded by, but definitely like one of those 
uh, probably like Maxi Kleber, maybe even Luca, right? And he, those are guys who he can certainly blow by um, more successfully than he could the previous two series. Um, I think you're probably going to see a, a very good Draymond series. Um, and I think you, you're probably going to see a lot of layups, um, a lot of open cuts. Uh, that being said, I mean, I have right now my gut says Warriors in seven, but I kind of want to go with Mavs in six. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I think um, the Warriors definitely have the personnel to abuse the fact that the Mavs don't actually have great individual defenders. But all season, they've showed an unwillingness to actually abuse that, you know, like they don't really hunt for mismatches like that. They don't let guys take other guys one on one off the dribble, which I think when you have Curry and Jordan Poole is what they should be really looking to do versus Mavs team. So I, the Warriors are a better team on paper, but just given how they've looked so far, I'm going to take Mavs in six or seven. Again, both of these series we have left could go either way, no doubt. But I think I'd have to choose the Mavs. I don't see Luka being slowed down. I don't think the Warriors are going to, do as good of a job as they maybe could attacking those worst defenders, like I said. And so, yeah, I, I have the mass taking this one. Okay. The only reason I have the Warriors in seven is simply because I think those defenders simply just won't be enough, right? I mm-hmm. I, I, just, I just think at the end of the day, there's just going to be too much talent that the Mavericks are going to be trying to go up against, right? Because the Warriors are still a very talented offensive team, right? But yeah. I, I, but I'm still also just like, man, like this shouldn't be a hot take, but the Mavericks just have, I think, the clear best player in this series. Um, Not only that, like with the way Steph's been playing, of course, right? Yeah. Um, I think they have the clear best player in the world. And and I've been saying this, but this has always been my philosophy. When you have the clear best player, right, I think anything is possible. Like it'll never not be possible for you to win a series, right? Or at the very least, extend it farther than it ever needed to go, right? Which is exactly what we just saw with the Mavericks and Suns, right? Um, yeah. So I just wouldn't be surprised if Luca he is just willing this team to just games because they just cannot guard him. Like they they have no no way to guard him. But and I'm not talking about just scoring, just like playmaking. Like they have no answers, and he just comes down the court and dissects them every play right I, I can very much see that happening but i can also see a, a, a situation happening where brunson and dinwiddie just stink up stink it up the shooters aren't hitting and luke is out there dropping 35 much like what he was in his previous playoff runs where he was dropping 35 and 10 and whatever and getting no help from anybody else yeah i agree completely i think like you said with the way curry has been playing luke is the best player in the series by a lot but, I mean, it's Curry. As yeah, much he's as still due up, for an explosion, of course, yeah. Exactly. As much as we're gassing up Luca, which is completely deserved, we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't, there's, I don't know, a 40% chance that Steph just is the best player in the series instead. You know, and if that happens, I don't see any way that Dallas wins this. And, I mean, they have a very smart coaching staff. They probably have some some uh i don't know some things planned that me being a much worse basketball mind than steve kerr etc don't see so definitely they can take this but right now maybe it's because i'm like i don't know just i mean i mean i i mean i definitely agree i mean at the end of the day bro it's like if 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 steph just learns how to hit open threes again i mean there's not much the mavericks are going to be able to do yeah yeah, like if they're humming, they're the best team in the league. Yeah, they're 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 gonna win the finals if they if they're just if they go on some run if Steph just goes back to playing like the best offensive player in the league, you know, type shit. Like if he's doing that, you know, and and they're just feeding off his energy. Like I just I don't think anyone's beating this team. Yeah, I agree completely. So, I guess when I say um, that I pick the Mavs, it's saying that I. 
don't believe the Warriors will go back to that, but they can. Yeah. I, mean, I look dumb, but it's fine. Yeah, I think um, we're both in agreement. We don't think they will, but we wouldn't be surprised if they do. Exactly. It's just, that's what I was saying the past two rounds, and then they still didn't do it. Maybe the increased pressure of, okay, now we're going against like a much, in my opinion, the Mavs are just better than the Grizzlies. I didn't think the Grizzlies were, like you said, it was much closer than it should have been. But to me, I never felt at all like the Warriors were going to lose that series. Maybe that heightened pressure like unlocked that old Warriors thing. They I had. thought the Warriors were going to do to the Grizzlies what the Grizzlies did to the Warriors in game five. I thought they were just going to smoke them from the jump and embarrass them. <laughs> You know, like I was very surprised. And then I was even more surprised watching game six when the first like what? 39 minutes of the game, the Grizzlies and were, lead, were beating the Warriors. I'm like, what? What's going on? Yeah. But then all of a sudden, and this is what we're talking about, the Warriors have decided to win. They're like, OK, enough, enough. Curry and stuff are going to hit their thoughts. We're going to get back to the Warriors basketball. We're not going to make dumb passes. We're not going to get bad turnovers. and. They just won. So, yeah, if that happens, then they're just winning the championship. So, yeah, I think we kind of covered that as much as we can. Um, do you have any last thoughts on playoffs in general? Um, I would really like to see a Warriors and Boston matchup. Mm-hmm. I think I that's think, like I think that's the series I would love to see the most. I'd also, I'd also I wouldn't be opposed to Warriors and Heat as well. I'd really like Mavericks and Celtics though. Luca versus Tatum would be very good for the NBA. Yeah, Luca versus Tatum would be amazing. I think no matter what, we're getting a great finals. Like, like six, seven games finals can go either way. Competitive. Yeah, I think finals with these four teams, unless there's like some freak injuries. Um. Yeah, I think the next two rounds are going to be fantastic. Like no matter what, so I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, me too. So one last thing before we wrap up the pod, the NBA draft lottery is tomorrow, and to plug my other podcast again, <laughs> me and my shamelessly brother. plugging. <laughs> yeah, I have to do it. This this one has a bigger audience, so you know, new podcast guys, the rock is hot. Check it out. We're going to be going over the draft lottery in live time on that one and, you know, talk about the prospects, the teams, any, everything, et cetera. But for now, I'm with Ash. Ash, what are you hoping to see from the draft lot- lottery tomorrow? Uh, I'm hoping to see the Rockets get the number one pick, um, at, at the very least a top two pick. Um, I also want to see the Pistons get top three. Um, I'd also like to see, I'd really, I want to see the Rockets, Pistons and Magic be like, uh, top three. Um, I do not, I know there's like a lot of Thunder fans, but I do not support the Thunder shameless way of tanking. So, um, and by supported, I mean, I don't advocate for it whatsoever. Um, the Blazers getting a top three pick is bad for the NBA. That can't happen. I don't want, I don't, I don't want teams. I don't want players going to the Blazers and Kings and going, going there to rot. So. Like, I think if they go to, like, I think the Rockets, Magic, Pistons, and the Thunder, even though I hate their shameless tanking, are on a very good trajectory with what they're doing with their young players. Like, I don't trust the Blazers, specifically the Kings, to, like, do anything valuable with their young players, you know, and really (laughs) turn them into what they can potentially be. Okay, so Rockets get the number one pick. Who do you want them to take? Oh, I'm torn, man. I am so torn because – they're all very good, but they're not all extremely good, you know. Yeah. So it's 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 incredibly hard. There's a lot of things that I'm I torn between. Like I would say I'm um Paolo one A, Chet one B, Jabari two. That's what I would say. And then I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind Jaden Ivy and Shaden Sharp. Yeah, to me for the Rockets, maybe I'm biased because I love Alperen Sengun, but he's a core piece, so. I think Chet would be the best fit. I think you could – I mean, I just think it works very well. He will help the defense. I mean, I wanted them to draft Mobley last year, and I feel mm-hmm. like Chet just kind of brings the same idea. Yeah. Like an elite defender. He'll cover for Sangoon. He'll play more outside. Sangoon will play more in on offense. He can pass. He can shoot. 
you know, like a complimentary player on offense who will anchor the defense. Yeah, I really, I really like Chet and Sengun's. I was comparing, like, I was what I really liked was um Drew Tim or Timmy, whatever. Yeah. I, I forgot to say his last name, but he plays a lot like Sengun exactly in college. And the both of them and him and Chet had a lot of good chemistry. And like what I said with NMZ hoops, right? I said follow him by the way on Twitter. Um, what I what I said to him was like, bro, like they, they got. Like, if he's going there, I think they could, like, replicate what they were doing, but, like, 10 times more because, you know, Sengun's just a way better player, right? You exactly. Know? Um, I think they could be really great. But there's something about Paolo that's kind of moving me with his shot creation. So Yeah, no, Paolo's – I think I'd actually say Paolo's a better player than Chet, in my opinion, very slightly. You can go either way. But I think I would say Paolo's the best player in this draft um, pending his defense. If his defense looks good, I think he's like clearly the best player in the draft, in my opinion. And if not, I think he's still arguably the best player. So, yeah, it's nothing against him. I just like the fit of Chet. For me, obviously, I want to see the Wizards get the first pick. I think <laughs> Chet and Porzingis will make Evan Mobley and Jim oh, Allen look weak. That is ruining the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see that. But other than that, yeah, I'd love to see Chet in Houston because I like what they're building there, and I think he can maximize them. I'd like to see him in Sacramento because I feel like – Oh, that's where people go to die, man. I know, I know, but – That's what where people – like, about... that's, that's the death sentence before you even became alive. What we're saying about Chet and Stangoon fits so well with Chet and Sabonis. I love Darren Fox. I just want to see that team succeed. Uh, I really want Paolo in Detroit because, I mean, I think anyone fits well with Cade. Like, literally any player would fit well with him. Yeah, it's a very good duo. Yeah, but that would just be so fun. But a part of me also wants Detroit to fall out of the top four just because I feel like Cade and Shaidon Sharp, I don't know how to pronounce his first name, but yeah, he's my favorite player in this draft. I just love that guy. And Chet's maybe my favorite, or not Chet, Kate is maybe my favorite player in the league. I just want to see those two. I think that would be, if Sharp gets to his potential, I think that'll be like, the oh my God, I'd love to see that. But realistically, if they get like a top pick, I'd like to see them get Paolo. I also like the Paolo fit in Orlando. I think that would be a really fun one. Uh, yeah, other than that, I don't really have anything. I think Sharp would be cool in, in Portland. Him and Ant Simons could be something special. But Yeah, I think if Portland gets like a top pick, I think they're like trading it. I'm not going to lie. That's possible. Yeah. I'm, there have been talks about a Bradley Beal trade. I don't think he's getting traded, but if he was – I think trading him for Ant Simons and Shade on Sharp is a that's as good as you're gonna get to start a rebuild, in my opinion. So Yeah, for Bradley Beal, you know. And and given what like the situation is for around everybody in the league for sure. Yeah. So that's lottery talk. Obviously you don't know what's gonna happen in the lottery, that's why it's the lottery. But I think I mean, this draft isn't incredible. It's not like the last draft. But the last two drafts, actually. Yeah. Or the 2018 draft. It's, I think drafts in general are just getting, like, outlandishly good. And this one isn't that good, but there are a lot of fun player-team combinations here that I can see. So I'm definitely excited for the lottery tomorrow. Again, third – I think this is a record. Three plugs – in this podcast for my other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The Rock is hot, but the is spelled T-H-A because of the Lil Wayne album. Check it out. We're going to go over the lottery there once it actually happens. But, yeah. Ash, do you have anything else to say? Uh, Not much. Uh, live, love, and learn basketball, man. The best sport in the world. Definitely. I don't want to hear anyone talking about soccer. Or or the NFL. It's only an American sport, so I don't really care for it. Even I, though I love even though I love my Bears. 
I think the NFL is actually, I've never been a big fan, but I'm trying to get, get more into it this year. But yeah, nothing will touch basketball, the best sport. But it was a great pod, Ash. Let the viewers know where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Oh, I said Twitter. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, uh, A-S-H-C two zeros o-o-l-y-o follow me uh i, I post i have great content very unfiltered uh content about anything i see yeah i was thinking before the podcast like you know ash is unfiltered what is he gonna say but this is great man <laughs> <laughs> nah man that's only that's just only stuff i do on twitter man yeah twitter is definitely more for jokes i i feel you but yeah everyone make sure to check out ash And I mean, I guess that's it. Thanks for coming on. See you, man. All right. See you.